Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 460 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, November 20th, 2022. We are back with you after Duke has has uh, broken, I guess, or I guess avoided a losing streak in men's basketball. They take down Delaware. Unfortunately, the football team's uh, good fortune and lucky bounces uh, has reversed again, resulting in a in a rather painful loss uh, at Pittsburgh. We need to talk about all of it. I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. Uh, if I if my voice sounds scratchy this morning, it's because I haven't felt well the last couple days. So hopefully I recover soon, which will give plenty of airtime today to Jason Evans, who joins it's gonna me. Be, it's the Jason show. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the guy we, with the uh, energy. And yeah. uh, Donald isn't here. Donald's over in uh, in gutter, uh, you know, watching the World Cup because that's what Donald does. Happy World Cup, everybody. Happy, happy World Cup. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, you'll, you'll hear Jason the most today because he's the only one that is both present and feeling well. Uh, <laughs> I swear, I swear I will return to health soon. So this is what we're going to do, Jason. We are going to recap that game that Duke played, uh, on Friday night. The one against the Delaware. Blue Hens. The Blue Hens. Uh, then we're going to recap the game that Duke played against Pittsburgh yesterday in football. One um, of the wackiest. That was weirdest. Just, that was. We're gonna. I'm gonna spend five minutes talking about the punting. Is every <laughs> is every is every Duke football game, uh, like do they all just have to be weird this year? There's so many weird games. Anyway, we'll do that. Uh, we have to preview Duke's upcoming game against Bellarmine. It's final tune-up before it heads out to the uh, Phil Knight Invitational later this week. So we'll do all that. We also have to choose a player of the week because it is the end of the week. So, Jason, let's let's start off, though. Uh, Duke has Delaware come into town. We previewed them the other day. Uh, we told you they wouldn't be as bad as some of the other uh, teams that might appear to be cupcakes on Duke's schedule. And at least through the first half, uh, things looked kind of scary because Duke was only up by six. Not that. We necessarily thought that Duke was going to lose this game, but the fact that that Duke was letting Delaware hang around all the way through halftime was maybe concerning. Duke, of course, ends up winning the game by more than 30 points. Uh, not the walk-ons, but all of the reserves managed to get a few minutes at the end of the game. And from the, you know, just from the final score, it looks like a laugher, but I don't think it quite was. So, Jason, give me a headline from this weird game. So my headline is too big, too balanced for blue hens. Uh, I, I, the story of the game to me was Duke's size and Duke's depth. Uh, I, I went with uh, freshman coming out party for Duke because it feels like maybe all of the freshmen had had their best games or, or some of their best games. Maybe not Mark Mitchell, but basically all the other freshmen had what might have been their best games so far in this in this young season and especially we got to see Derek uh, or Derek Whitehead rather for the first time not hopefully his best game of the season but at least he was out there running around and showing off a little bit of the athleticism that we expect from him yeah and and we got some viewer headlines uh as we always do we say to folks send us those emails uh at to dbrpodcast 
at gmail.com with your headlines, with your plays of the game, that kind of stuff. And we'll read the best in the air. We got one. There were several good ones, but I wanted to pick out one that I thought was so much better than all the others. <laughs> uh, Devil's Lay Egg and Then Fry Blue Hens. That came to us from Clinton Weaver, uh, which really summed up, I think, the game pretty nicely. It, it was unexpectedly close for quite a while. And and then Duke remembered that they are Duke and turned it on and it turned into a laugher. Yeah, I love that. All right, Jason, give me start me off with the good, at least in this game. I've, I've, I've mentioned a few of the trends in my headline, but tell me about the good from this game. Start wherever you'd like. Uh, I mentioned the bigs. I'm going to start with the rebounding again. Duke had 16 offensive rebounds. Delaware had just 19 defensive rebounds. So Duke was, again, close to 50% on our offensive rebounding rate, 45.7%. It's just a touch under the truly absurd 48% offensive rebounding rate that we had coming into this game. Um, Kyle Filipowski, who had had double-digit rebounds in uh, each of Duke's first three games, just missed it with eight rebounds in this game. Tyrese Proctor, yes, Tyrese Proctor, put on a, a show <laughs> and and ended up with 10 rebounds, mostly on the defensive end. Um, it, it jumps off the page at you uh, for, for a guard to to get that kind of number. I, I did notice throughout the game that it seemed like Tyrese was grabbing a lot of sort of not super contested rebounds. It was sort of like if there were three Duke guys in the area, uh, Tyrese was the one who went up and got it. Uh, you know, if there was no no one from Delaware there, I mean, he did grab some of the rebounds in traffic and stuff. You know, it, I, I, I don't want to 10 rebounds is still 10 rebounds, but it wasn't like he was dominating the boards uh, in a in a really cra kind of crazy way for a guard. But uh, between Filipowski and Proctor and, and several other guys, Duke was just absolutely ridiculous on the boards. And, and that was, you know, when we previewed this game, we, we talked about the fact that Delaware wasn't that big. When we when we get to previewing Bellerman later in the show, they are another team that is not very big, and and Duke just overwhelms certain teams with their size. We're we're rolling out there with with two seven footers almost every moment on the floor, uh, uh, with Mark you know six eight Mark Mitchell, who can jump through the roof playing small forward for us. Derek Whitehead's now in the lineup. He's also six eight and can. Uh, Duke is just rolling out there a lineup that's just way bigger than anything anyone else in college is doing. And even has guards who are probably better rebounders on average than than you would think, given their height. We, I mean, even if Proctor grabbed a few easy ones, um, he still knows how to put himself in the right position. Jeremy Roach, it, it also has been a very good rebounder for somebody of his size uh, historically. So, and, so and and by the way, I mean Jeremy Roach didn't have a lot of rebounds in this game. He he ended up with only two rebounds, but he had an offensive rebound in the second half. I want to. I'm trying to remember who. Missed the shot. It may have been Whitehead. I don't know. Someone missed a shot. Jeremy Roach grabbed a really strong offensive rebound, took it right back up, got fouled. It was a three-point play, and that was literally the play that jump-started the 22-2 run. Again, 22-2 that spurred Duke into an insurmountable. It was a close game, and that was a huge rebound that Jeremy Roach pulled down. Uh, like I said, Duke just destroyed these guys on the boards. And Jason, when you talk about depth, uh, Derek Lively in the starting lineup for Duke now, Ryan Young on the bench, but both contributing a ton here, closer to the way that maybe we would have envisioned before the season and before uh, Lively's injury. 
Yeah, and and uh, to me, yeah, like I said in my headline, depth was another thing that really mattered in this game. Uh, all, all nine of our of Duke's regulars, and it's it's pretty clear, I think, at this point that that this is at least for the moment a nine man rotation. We'll see when when Duke plays, uh, you know, in in the Phil Knight tournament over Thanksgiving if it if it shrinks a little bit. I'm not sure it's going to because I can't I can't really tell you guys that I go, oh, that guy should not be playing. Uh, but it feels like, yeah, this is a nine-man rotation. And all nine of those guys had at least a bucket in the first 15 minutes of the game, which is which is really impressive. When you got nine guys who who are all threats to score for you, that's a big deal. Um, all, all nine of those guys ended up scoring at least five points, uh, which means they each had multiple buckets. And all nine of them played 15-plus minutes, and no one, no one played 30 or more minutes. You know, again, looking ahead a bit, when Duke is playing in the Phil Knight tournament, it's going to be three games in four days. They, they play Thursday, Friday, they take Saturday off, and then they play on Sunday. Having the kind of depth that Duke does is going to be a real help in a circumstance like that. And I do wonder if, if Duke goes any deeper during that, uh, you know, that, that very short run of, of three games. But I also wonder if you know, there was a lot of, it felt like John Shire was doing a lot of lineup experimentation against Delaware. Um, yeah. Lots of, lots of interesting combos. And at, at, yeah, at one point, by the way, we talked about the size at one point, he pulled out the small lineup where Mark Mitchell was the biggest guy on the floor, which I, I, I think is a really interesting, you know, situation for Duke that they can go really small if they want at times and not be overwhelmed on the boards. You know, that said, I'm not sure that we, that's what we want. Kyle Filipowski sitting on the bench all that much. <laughs> yeah. Can we, Jason, can we talk about some of these freshman big men and, and the nights that they had, I specifically wanted to call out Filipowski and Derek Lively. And maybe I start with, with Lively so that you can, you can talk a bit more about Filipowski. The biggest thing that stands out to me from Lively from this game. And of course we're, we're still seeing him get ramped up. It's sort of happening, you know, in front of us as opposed to behind the scenes. Uh, but the big standout for me is the four assists. I thought I didn't realize that Lively was going to have the kind of court vision in the paint that he had in this game. And I'll also spoil my play of the game, which is he whipped a pass out to Kyle Filipowski for a three. That's my that, play were, of the game also. I can't are believe you pick this? that. Yes. That, that thing's so great. We, we, we've gotten through our, our plays of the game. That was, was awesome. It, you know what it reminded me of was how good, and, and I don't think that their games are very similar in, in many other ways, but it reminded me of how good Jalil Okafor was at, passing out of the double team in the low post to find shooters. That is a rare skill for a freshman to have. That's a rare skill, I think, for most college big men to have. Like if you have if you have that kind of advanced court sense, you're probably already in the NBA. So Derek Lively's four assists uh were were pretty awesome and and they were, you know, they they weren't they weren't tip out offensive rebound type assists that you might expect from a big man. Um, no. those were those were him like commanding the the attention of the defense and then finding the outlet. Really cool stuff. Yeah, and I one of the other things I'd identified as the good was was the the passing overall. Yes, Derek Lively had four. Ryan Young had three assists. And and with the big men, it wasn't like you said. It wasn't just that passing out of the post kind of thing where I'm in here, I'm double teamed, I'm gonna find a guy open on the perimeter. By the way, that's great. We love that. You want to see that. There was also a lot of passing within the post. So a guy would have the ball, the defense would would come to him, and he would find another teammate open for a way easier shot. 
in the lane. Um, a lot of really advanced passing from Duke. Uh, one of the things that I noted was it just didn't feel like a bunch of freshmen, a bunch of guys who are getting used to playing together. The way they found each other felt like guys who'd been playing with each other for a lot, a, a long time. And I mean, when you when you think about Lively and Whitehead, I mean, these are guys who only started practicing with, you know, they, they took weeks off, in the case of Whitehead, months off from practicing with the team. To be at this level this fast is really impressive. Duke had 18 assists on 34 made baskets. That's an assist rate of almost 53%. We had five different players with multiple assists. You know, it, it, it is clear that this team is dangerous, not just, you know, players are dangerous, not just in their ability to score, but their ability to set up other players. And one of the crazy, one of the really weird things about all this passing and all these assists, Jeremy Roach, <laughs> our point guard, Jeremy Roach had zero assists against Kansas. He had one assist and it, it was early in the game. Uh, someone, someone on Twitter said that Jeremy Roach has now gone like something like 50 minutes of playing time without getting an assist, which seems bonkers. Uh, although part of the story of this game, I think is that more and more we're seeing Tyrese Proctor as the guy who's initiating Duke's offense. Jeremy Roach has moved more into a scoring role and Tyrese Proctor to me who had a a, a a ridiculous game. I thought Tyrese Proctor was outstanding, arguably the player of the game. Um, really sublime passing. Uh, he was, you know, he he drained that that step back three that I love. I know there are a lot of people out there who don't love it, but it, he, those step back shots they're impossible to stop, and he is really good at them. Uh, and you know what, Jason, on the step back shots, I, I know that they're they're difficult, but there are so many guys in the NBA that make that a part of their game now that I sort of expect players like Proctor coming in who have really high ceilings and really high expectations for themselves. Are and, going who's been, to teach them who's been and by the way, who's been Proctor's been training at the NBA training. Like those guys understand They're doing that stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. and when, when uh, you know, when Duke had Jabari Parker now almost 10 years ago, uh, he was taking crazy shots like that. And we were like, Oh man, this is weird. Uh, it's like cool that he makes them all, but it but it's very like off putting that we have a we have a freshman taking all these all these crazy low percentage shots. Um, now it, it almost feels like I expect it. Like like these guys are all watching James Harden and Luka Doncic, and they're like, well, we have to we have to do the stuff that those guys are doing, or or you know, not to mention like Steph Curry and and Damian Lillard. So uh, I, I I love that. On the 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 other guy that I wanted to call out, Jason. Uh, was Kyle Filipowski because it's not just the scoring. He he hits two of his five three-point attempts, which I love. But what's even better is his uh, his handle. I was shocked at how much he was able to to dribble with the ball and, and like make good decisions with it. So um, pretty awesome stuff from Filipowski as well. He is unveiling, you know, gradually more and more aspects of his game. And I can't really recall a a highly touted freshman having this kind of sort of a roller coaster preseason and early season comes into school. First of all, in, in high school, it's worth noting Kyle Filipowski was a decent recruit and then suddenly sort of exploded right around the time that he committed to Duke and, and went from being like a top 40 kind of recruit to being a top five recruit. There were even people saying, oh, is Kyle Filipowski maybe the number one recruit in the class right around the time Duke signed him ended up being top five, top 10, you know, but, still super super big time recruit arrives on campus and there are a lot of people who said he was struggling early in practices that he wasn't we saw you know some of the tape that we saw 
of the early season scrimmages and practices and things. And the word we were getting out of practice was that Kyle Filipowski was, was not super impressive. The coaches were on him pretty hard. Um, there, there's, there's talk that uh, at one point, John Shire kicked him out of practice during one of the preseason practices that Shire had to, you know, was riding him hard and kicked him out. And, and, and like in a couple of the preseason games, Filipowski was not one of the guys who, who was putting up big stats. And then suddenly the regular season starts. He's getting double doubles left and right. He's unveiling more and more of his game. He, he looks like what you would expect a top five recruit to look like. He, at this point, he's arguably, he's up there with, you know, two or three other guys for the best freshman in the country at the moment. It's still very early. Derek Whitehead, you know, is, is still unveiling his game for the, for the nation, but it is, it's kind of amazing this this journey that Filipowski's on, considering he's a month into his career, it's it's amazing. It, it, it it's it's totally bizarre. But yesterday or, or Friday night, rather, I think was a was was another notch in the good for Kyle Filipowski. Let's Jason very quickly talk the, about the bad. Uh, I I don't know if you I don't know if there's a player you want to start with, or if there are some aspects maybe of of Duke allowing Delaware to to hang around in this game that you wanted to highlight. Yeah, there are a few different things I noted in the bad. And, and you know, final score to me is not really indicative of, of what this game was because for a long time, Duke Duke was struggling in this game to pull away from a Delaware team. You know, that's they're okay, but they're they're not that good. I, I'd said that I expected the, the, the line was around 20 points and I expected Duke to cover fairly comfortably. And if they did, it, it wasn't because... They, they had it in hand the whole game. It, it was a competitive game for quite a while. The first thing that stuck out to me was, was the defense. Now, Duke did a great job of getting up in the face of the Delaware guards and making life miserable, especially for, especially for Jameer Nelson Jr. Uh, and, and hat tip to Jeremy Roach there, who, who was really impressive on defense against Jameer Nelson. But Delaware did not make mistakes, and Duke did not for, force them into mistakes. Delaware had just three turnovers in the first half. They consistently got open looks from three-point range. And that's why it was a six-point game at halftime and well into the second half. Duke had zero points off of, off of turnover in the first half. Zero points off of turnover. I mean, we were in some ways kind of lucky that Delaware missed some shots they could have made. And, and it could have been an even more uncomfortable game. Now, eventually, we turned up the pace on them and we pressured Delaware into eight second-half turnovers. But only three turnovers in the first half against a team like Delaware, especially when Jameer Nelson was missing, you know, their best guard was missing a lot of time, was was something you had to be concerned about. And and by the way, pace to me was the key to this game. I'm not sure if this goes in the good or the bad, but when Duke played fast, when we forced Delaware to play fast, we dominated them. When they slowed the game down, when we were playing at their speed, they were able to stay close. And this Duke team needs to learn from that and figure out ways of making teams play at their pace, not playing at the other team's pace. And by the way, the game against Bellarmine that we're going to preview is going to be a huge test of that. That is that Bellarmine is a team that w will refuse to play fast. And Duke needs to find a way to speed them up a little bit because clearly if teams slow Duke down, then then it's a problem for us. It's surprising to me, Jason, that that Duke struggles with playing at a slow pace. I thought given Duke's size this season that they'd be comfortable 
sort of hanging around in the half court and and letting uh, letting other teams sort of come to them when Duke is on defense. So uh, to me, I I don't know if it's that I want to see Duke speed teams up as much as I want to see Duke get better at playing slow. And and there will be slow That's ACC teams. The, the ACC the ACC doesn't have you know a lot of these high flying teams. I think that we that we remember from years past. And so I I want Duke to feel comfortable playing at a slow pace. Um, what about Jason on the offensive end? Anything that you um, that you notice about about the execution here that you wanted to highlight in the bad? Yeah, um, I mean, you know, we can start with the very first play of the game. Tyrese Proctor came yeah. down and threw a lob to Derek Lively that was as bad a lob as you'll see. Like he threw it, he threw it like outside of the lane. It was behind Lively. If he'd caught, if even the, if Lively had caught it, there was no way he could do anything with it. The announcers, the announcers made some comment that like, I don't even think Derek Lively was big enough to to catch that lob. <laughs> yeah. It was it was an interesting choice by uh by by Tyrese. I <clears throat> I'm not quite sure what he was going for there. By the way, speaking of the announcers, is Mike Jaminski okay? Did you hear the start of the game? No. What did he say? It's not what he. So it's hard to duplicate. Mike Jaminski on on color like tried to talk and, and look I'm I'm here I I you know I clear my throat uh he he had something in his throat where he was like <laughs> you like oh, literally you I do I do remember the word this. he was saying it was it was very strange it was very uh, strange yeah and they definitely uh they definitely forgot to to smash the mute button on him when <laughs> yeah. when that was going on cuz usually they have the the announcers have like a little kill button for themselves right. oh I know when yeah. uh when they start coughing or sneezing or something, but, uh, but the G man, the G man missed his mute button. Yeah. It was, I was like, Oh my God, is he all right? Anyway, uh, let's get back. Sorry. Total diversion there. Let's get back to the offensive. Hey, execution. hey, it counts. Look, Mike jaminski has got his, got his Jersey in the rafters. You know, if he's not okay, we, we, we got to talk about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm sure Mike's doing fine. He was, he was great later in the game. It was, it was great to, to get Mike on the mic. Uh, uh, Cause he's one of the better color commentators out there. Anyway, I, I'd mentioned that 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 lob that Tyrese Proctor threw was was pretty weak. Duke went to Derek Lively on the next two possessions as well. You know, it was like our whole offense. The first three possessions was lob it to Lively, and what was weird about that was after we did it the first three possessions, I don't think we pick and roll lob to Lively the entire rest of the game. I'd love for us to make that a more regular. It doesn't have to be every play. <laughs> but make that a more regular part of the offense. Cause it is, it's kind of clear from watching him that Derek lively does not have moves in the post. He's a guy who's going to go outside and shoot. He's a guy who's going to get you rebounds and he can get you lob, you know, put back points like that, but he's not going to make a lot of moves in the post. So let's get him involved in that pick and roll game. I was surprised after we did it early that we just forgot about it for the rest of the game. In terms of the rest of the game Duke had some pretty sloppy offensive mo moments. It looked to me like we lost focus at times. It looks like some guys, you know, sort of decide, Oh, on this possession, I'm going to take the ball and go one-on-one -on -one and score. And, and offense needs to be something that is more fluid where you don't make a decision in advance of getting the ball. Uh, I, I, I thought that both Mark Mitchell and Derek Whitehead decided at times I'm taking the ball. I'm taking, I'm going to get a shot no matter what. And it didn't always work out for them, although Mitchell Mitchell was pretty efficient in this game and, and unveiled sort of a mid-range game. We haven't seen very much from him. That little foul line jumper he took looks to me like he can hit that very, very consistently. 
And and Drake, uh, you know, Whitehead is rusty, but he's going to drive me crazy with these contested long range jumpers, isn't he? He seems to love stepping just inside the three point line and taking a a, a pull up jumper. He took Whitehead took eleven shots in about fifteen minutes of playing time. That's a lot of shooting. And make no mistake, he has a reputation as a scorer. I want my scorer to be shooting a lot, so I'm fine with a number of shots. But two of them were three pointers. Good with that. Take three pointers, absolutely. Four of them were shots in the lane, you know, around the basket. I'm great with that. That's fine. But he took five jumpers outside of the lane. And look, I don't have a measuring tape, but I think all of them were like 17 plus feet from the basket. And they were all like off the dribble. And these are not efficient shots. I think he hit one of them, maybe. Anyway, I, he needs to hit more of those if he's going to take them. I, I would love to say, please stop taking that shot. Anyone who's listened to this podcast for a while knows that I hate the mid-range jumper or I guess the long-range jumper. Shots outside the lane that are not three-pointers should be outlawed in basketball. They just <laughs> um, And Whitehead took a lot of them, and it's clear that that's a lot of his game. I, I guess I'm just going to have to learn to live with it, but <laughs> it just it's, it, it's hard on me. Jason, on the on the same topic of like, some of this stuff is coming back into vogue in the league now that things have become so efficient. So there's an element of like, you got to practice these things because these are the the shots that they'll give you. I don't know how much that matters actually in college while, while Derek Whitehead is, is here and more athletic than 98% of the guys that he's going against in, in any game. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a weird concerning thing. I don't think we have to pick a play of the game. I think we both chose ours, right? Yeah, absolutely. It was that, sublime pass from lively to filipowski in the corner that flip finished off for us it was uh that was that was a great play and su- as we said super advanced for a freshman all right jason let's take a quick break when we get back we will preview duke's upcoming game against bellerman we will also uh quickly recap duke's loss to pittsburgh in football which drops the team to seven and four just seven and four so stick around we'll be right back We are back and we are talking about Duke's upcoming game against Bellarmine. They're going to square off tomorrow night. So today we're recording on Sunday morning. This game is going to be Monday night in Cameron before Duke flies to the West Coast. So uh, Bellarmine, uh, of course, a, a school in Louisville with a better uh, ACC conference record than the University of Louisville uh, on account <laughs> of... That's good, I Sam. I like that. I, yeah. I knew you'd like that. Uh, Bellerman comes in with an overall record of two and two, and they're one and one in the ACC. They, of course, have the win against Louisville to tip off the season, a, a completely bizarre result. Um, they also have a relatively close loss against Clemson. So, uh, by the way, in that Clemson game, they were leading Clemson like midway through the second half. Like it absolutely looked like Bellerman was going to be two and oh in the ACC. So, Jason, we've got some some ACC data on Bellarmine in a way Duke's first ACC opponent of the season because they're getting so much run uh, against the rest of the conference. Bellarmine of course, hasn't been in division one for very long. I actually think that Duke played them as a D two school, not that long ago um, because I feel like we previewed that game from, from however many years ago it was. Cause 2020, I it was, it was 2021. It was their first game 
as their first game in Division One. Yeah, and uh, and I recall us having a a spirited conversation trying to determine the pronunciation of Bellerman. Yes, but now we know it. So yeah. we we will we will henceforth call them Bellerman. And by the way, in that 2021 game, it was it was a much closer than anticipated game. It was like a 10 point game at halftime, and, and it and it felt even closer than that. Um, you know, they are they're a really interesting team. And, and by the way, before we get to what they are, I I do want to note. You know, we we talked about their schedule so far. They've played two ACC teams. They are in the process of playing a gauntlet of a schedule. Like, Sam, are you ready for what they have coming up? So they just played Clemson. They then have Duke. Over the next eight days, they will have Duke, UCLA, and Kentucky all on the road. That, that my friend, is brutal. That is that is a team that is afraid of taking on no one. I mean, you can also argue it's a team that's willing to take buy games, you know, be paid to to go and get pummeled by anybody. <laughs> and and maybe there is, hey, there is an element of toughening that you get from that, where yeah. when they begin Atlantic Sun play, you know, later this month uh, or or next month, I suppose, while we're still in November, uh, they are they, they are going to be afraid of nothing having had to go up against all of these these Power 5 schools. And it's not just like they picked a random set of Power 5 schools. Duke, UCLA, and Kentucky are all supposed to be some of the best teams in the country this year. And if you're going to talk about playing Bellerman, you have to discuss their style of play because they are truly unlike just about any other team at the Division One level. Uh, they are a club, you know, I don't want folks to think it's the Princeton offense but it's not entirely different from that. They're known as the team that never dribbles the ball. And obviously, you know, that's not exactly the case, but they love to spread the ball on the perimeter, rarely take dribbles and just pass the ball around until they get an open shot outside or until they backdoor you. You've got to be careful of backdoor cuts against them. And you've got to be careful of leaving three point shooters open. And as a result of them passing the ball a lot and refusing, I mean, refusing to take bad shots, Bellerman plays one of the slowest, like one of the five slowest, one of the three slowest, I think, paces in the country. It, it, it's it's going to be fascinating to watch. I think it's very, it, you know, be interesting for Duke, especially for the young players to play against. But they will use the entire shot clock in the hope of getting an open three or a backdoor cut for a layup. And you must be disciplined or you could get nipped. Uh, they they are a small team. They play essentially four guards, four guards or wings, and they play one big man. And that one big man is very comfortable playing on the perimeter. You know, there won't be anybody. That, there'll be times on offense where Bellman will not have, most of the time, will not have anyone in the lane, anyone close to the lane. They will just be out on the perimeter, the entire team. If, uh, it, you know, last year when Duke had Mark Williams, if we had a big man like Mark Williams, and I think Ryan Young is somewhat similar in, in this regard, who has trouble maybe staying in front of a a quicker guy, it, it, it could be a real problem for them. And I think Ryan Young may have some trouble with Bellerman. Luckily, Kyle Filipowski and Derek Lively uh, are, appear to be the kind of defenders who can get outside and don't mind playing a guy on the perimeter, but but it's going to be an issue for Duke. And then on defense, Bellman packs it in, and they force you to shoot over them. Uh, there was there was an amazing stat 
that uh, better than 58% of the shots taken against them this year, almost 60% of the shots taken against Bellerman this year are three pointers. It, it, uh, it a little bit like Syracuse in that regard, you know, uh, teams play Syracuse and they end up taking a lot of threes. When you play Bellerman, you take a lot of threes. Now, the bad thing for Bellerman is teams have hit a fairly decent, like 36% against them. Um, so, you know, if you're Bellerman gives up a lot of threes, but, but teams tend to hit that shot. And then the other thing about Bellerman on defense is because they're packed in, because they're trying to prevent you from getting, you know, good shots from close to the basket, they don't get many steals. They're 337th in the country at steal percentage, which is very low. They're 360 odd teams. So, you know, one of the bottom 5% or so at steals. And they're, they also do not block shots very much at all. I, I mentioned that they're, they're pretty small. Um, but it is really tough to get a good two-point shot against them. They allow their opponents to hit just 43% of their field goals, their two-point field goals. So they they do a great job of contesting twos. And, you know, for someone like a Dreek Whitehead, who, who you know, is sort of willing to take a, a difficult shot, that's what Bellarmine wants you to do. They want you to take difficult shots. It's a They're a really interesting test for any team. If you don't shoot well against them and if you don't play disciplined on defense – Bellerman can absolutely surprise you. And because they slow it down, um, you uh, they they offer more opportunities for randomness. We talk about this every time Duke plays UVA, that these slow teams create weird games. And and if Duke can get if if Duke gets sucked into the weird Bellerman vortex, then it's a hard thing to escape. Um, it's not Jason, I don't know if there are players on this Bellerman squad that you really want to highlight because as you said, they play at a slow pace. None of the numbers are going to stick out to you. There is some, there, there is a, a decent amount of sort of offensive efficiency in here um, for a team that that does play so slowly and that is sort of middling. But, um, but yeah, the the interesting thing for me is going to be how Duke attacks Bellerman when when Duke is on offense um, to see how much they can get the ball inside the paint and and avoid uh, just stalling out the clock and 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 clanging bad shots. Yeah, I, I I don't for a moment think that that Bellerman is going to to beat Duke. And in fact, Ken Pomeroy says that uh, Duke wins this game eighty to fifty eight. He has them, you know, he has Duke as a twenty point twenty plus point favorite. But but it's going to be really interesting to see who is able to impose their will on the game, and whether this Duke team will be disciplined enough. We are a bunch of freshmen. Bellerman's mostly playing seniors. They they've got they got one freshman who plays a lot for them and a sophomore, but other than that, it's it's mostly seniors. It's gonna be just very interesting to see if the Duke freshmen fall into the Bellerman trap because Bellerman, you know, like I said, they'll let you take a shot that you think, oh, this is a good shot, but it's actually not a great shot. And on defense, the biggest thing is that they'll lull you to sleep with all the passing. And then suddenly there's a guy going back door on you and you didn't even notice it and he's getting a layup. So we'll see how, how Duke does in that game. And of course, we'll react to it before Duke's big trip to Portland. Uh, this is the last opportunity for Duke to, to tune things up. Although they do get a game against Oregon State, who is also not supposed to be very good. Yeah, uh, to, we got a break in the opening of the PK-85. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I, I want to thank the organizers for that one. But continued development for both Derek Lively and Derek Whitehead coming back from injuries. So we'll see, we'll see if we see any progress from them this week in particular. 
Jason, let's move over and talk about football very quick before we do our player of the week selections. So <laughs> Duke's football season has been a, a series of truly bizarre games. Uh, it is possible that this Pittsburgh game was the most bizarre game that Duke has played this season. It's a loss, a very close loss, 28 to 26. Duke has a couple of failed two-point conversions after the game. Mike Elko talked about how, uh, at you know, down the stretch, he was trying to avoid overtime for a couple of reasons. And it was, I, I think I like the, uh, the, the approach to thinking about what are the expectancies of, of getting, you know, different amounts of points in different places, but take me wherever you want, Jason, in terms of Duke's loss here. It, as I said earlier, it's not like, it's not like it's the end of the world. Duke has, has racked up uh, three now conference losses that have all been, very close games the following the the Georgia Tech game and the North Carolina game for Duke. So give me your your big takeaway from this game against Pittsburgh. Yeah, by the way, uh, Adam Rowe uh, on Twitter, one of the best Duke followers out there on Twitter. If, if Twitter still exists at this point, I'm not even sure. <laughs> uh, Adam Rowe uh, had a tweet where he noted that every Duke loss this season has been on the last play of the game, that Duke had the ball with a play to, you know, either win the game or take it to overtime in every game they've lost that, that we were down by eight to Kansas and we had uh, a fourth down play on the, on the Kansas 30 yard line that if we convert, we, we could go ahead and, and get the tying score. And at the very, very end of the game um, against UNC, um, we, you know, that game went back and forth in the final minute and we absolutely could have won that game on the final play against Georgia Tech it was in overtime and of course an overtime game you could win on any play and, and Duke looked like they had the game won until there was a, a bad uh, penalty on Jontavius Robertson that that backed us up and we missed the field goal to tie it uh, and, and then we have this pit game where we had we came down we had a two-point conversion to tie the game at the very end we had another two-point conversion earlier that this is controversial and by the way I want to explain to people there, there are a lot of folks and, and and I'm one of them who was like what are we doing going for it? So Duke was down 14. We scored a touchdown and we went for two. And people were like, wait, what? There is in the fourth quarter where that game was, there was about eight minutes left or so. There, There is absolutely, the analytics people will tell you that going for two makes a lot of sense there. I mean, Sam, you you're you know statistics. That, well, so what, what Coach Elko said after the game is that uh, – the field conditions were not favorable for Duke. Uh, the wind was whipping around. I know Duke has had some struggles in the kicking game this well, season. We, we've got a backup kit. We got a backup place kicker. Yeah, and and so Mike Elko was saying that he wanted he wanted Duke to win the game in regulation. Um, this is a you know I, I I have heard coaches make this argument before that you're sort of watching the game. It's not just the um, it's not just the, oh, well, we want to be down by seven, then we can be down, you know, then we can tie it up. Mike Elko was saying um, he knows the way the team is playing and he knows the conditions on the field and he does not want to leave this game, especially given Duke's uh, lack of running game, their their inability to establish the running game in this, in this affair. Uh, he did not want to see Duke playing in overtime. He thought that that was a lower percentage uh, option for the Blue Devils. So went for two. And by the way, uh, the Duke offense can can produce, right? Riley Leonard, we know, is is capable of of big plays. So I, if if the coaching staff feels that 
their odds of execution there are better on the two-point conversion. By the way, a lot of these football coaches, you know, on the more conservative end where they're going to just opt for the field goal in those cases, Jason. Uh, I I like all of that, all of that decision making. And it's a shame that it doesn't work out for Duke, but there are there are elements of you just kind of gotta go for it. Yeah, and and you know, let's let's get away from the 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 two point conversions for a moment. Uh, although I will say the second two point conversion, the one that was going to tie the game at the very you know essentially in the final thirty seconds or so, I, I I didn't love that play. We went for a trick play, you know, and you know a, a reverse where we were gonna we were gonna throw. I think it's called like a New York Jets or a New York Giants special, something like that. Where we were gonna throw the ball. Philly special. I don't know. I think it's the Philly special. Philly special. That's it. Yeah, sorry. It was one of those one of those northeastern teams uh, where, where we we're gonna throw the pass to Riley Leonard. For the two-point conversion, I thought that was a little too cute, uh, you know, for a final play. And Pittsburgh had been getting their defense into our backfield throughout the game, especially late in the game. So the fact that they blew it up by having defenders back there, you know, to prevent the guy from even being able to make the pass to Riley Leonard, and Riley Leonard was at least partially covered. Uh, you know, that 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 to me is a sign of this wasn't the greatest play call. But I, I want to go back to. I mentioned this earlier. Crazy game. First of all, is, is this the pigeon game? I think this is forever the pigeon game. I don't know what was going on. There were there were more pigeons on the field than I there were more pigeons on the field than there were people in the stands. It was insane. There would be like pass plays or kickoffs and stuff where suddenly the players are running through like a flock of pigeons. It was crazy. There were, did they put like pigeon feed on the field or something? It, it was just really strange. And then the other, the punting game. Let's talk about the punts. I've never seen punts more exciting. Usually, like if I'm behind time on a game and I'm on my DVR and I'm like fast forwarding and stuff like that, I like skip the punts. That's just one of the things I do. Because And occasionally I miss an exciting come, uh, punt return, I guess. But I usually skip the punts. In this game, do not skip the punts. <laughs> I've never seen the punts as exciting as this. Duke gave away seven points to Pittsburgh when Jalen Calhoun muffed a punt that he had. I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know what he was doing. It was really bad. But we just gave Pittsburgh seven points off of that punt. Then we shanked one. I mean, like, it ended up being like a 15-yard punt. It was just terrible. That gave Pittsburgh points as well. Then we partially blocked a punt that gave us great field position and allowed Duke to, you know, get, get a touchdown. I think we got a touchdown off of that. I'm pretty sure we did. And then we had one with a pit punter Late in the game, had one just go through his hands. Like, it wasn't a bad snap. It just went right through his hands and gave Duke incredible field position that we turned into points. Like, there were literally, like, 24 points scored off of weird punt plays. It was crazy. A, look, this is this is part of what, what uh, Elko was talking about afterwards, that the conditions on the field were bizarre. So, uh, it, it, and the, uh, the punting game between the the uh, execution of the punting snaps or the punts themselves or the fielding of the punts. Um, everything was, was kind of topsy turvy in, in that game. Yeah. And, and I wonder how much of some of the other weirdness that happened in this game, you know, it was cold. I don't, I don't know that it was like crazy cold. I mean, you know, it wasn't Buffalo, <laughs> but, but there was something going on in this game. Uh, John Tavis Robertson dropped a TD pass where he was behind the defense, it hit him in the hands and the chest. Like, I'm, I'm not sure how he dropped it. If you'd been an offensive lineman who had lined up at wide receiver, 
I guess I would understand if you drop that pass. I don't understand how someone who plays wide receiver drops a pass like that. That that was the difference in the game. It was like almost too easy. And th- there were just a number of times where it, where it was just a sloppy game. It, it felt very uncharacteristic for Duke. Uh, we we did more passing than running in this game. Um, we we were missing tackles in a way that we haven't been missing tackles this year. Um, uh, the play calling, like I mentioned, that that you know the the play call on the on the two point conversion, some of the other play calling, I thought was a a little strange. It, it felt like the Duke that we've seen in past years, not the Duke under Mike Elko. And you know, I I I I think I hope it was just a, a one game blip. But but it was it, just everything about that game was very strange, and it was yet another game that could have gone either way. Duke could absolutely be, you know, with just a couple easy breaks, Duke could be like ten and one at this point. It, it wouldn't be insane, isn't that it weird? Be, it wouldn't be crazy if that happened. But seven and four is an amazing record. I'm I got no problem with it. The uh, the national analysts are talking about Carolina being. I don't know if it. I don't know if if, if Carolina is in the 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 sleeper talk, but they at least can definitely play spoiler to um, you know. I or I, I suppose that Clemson sort of played the, their way out of it, but yeah, um, I don't think either Carolina or Clemson are in the conversation. There's a, take a there's lot a, of crazy stuff to happen. There's a really crazy world where where it could happen, but but Duke had Duke had Carolina, uh, so it, it's a it's a strange one. I did want to highlight. I know the conditions were weird. But Duke did a great job against Keaton Slovis, the uh, the Pittsburgh quarterback, yesterday, uh, and and a pretty highly regarded quarterback in his own right. Um, so great job by the Duke defense. They picked him off twice in the second half, and and they were able to sort of limit Pittsburgh's uh, passing attack in this one, which is just you know continued evidence that Elko is making a huge difference on that side of the ball. Yeah, and, and by the way, you know, I feel terrible that I haven't mentioned it yet, but huge shout out to Jordan Moore. Yeah. Wow. I, 14 receptions, 199 yards, had a TD, had one reception that the announcers were like, that might be the catch of the year. He's go, fallen out of bounds, reaches out with one hand, grabs it, somehow pulls it in and doesn't drop it as he crashes to the ground. It was a crazy elite NFL wide receivers don't make that catch. And reminder, everyone, dude was a quarterback two months ago. What he is doing at wide receiver is really remarkable. Uh, He has turned into a huge, huge weapon for Duke. And then the last thing I want to mention on football is two months ago, if you'd said to me, oh, Duke's going to, Pittsburgh is ranked. Pittsburgh was considered one of the better teams in the ACC coming into the season. Oh, Duke's going to play a game against Pittsburgh and you're going to be really disappointed because Duke doesn't play like themselves and they lose by two. I've been like, what are you talking about? Yeah. (laughs) What, what does that even mean? Right. The heights that this team has achieved, the degree to which they've elevated our expectations cannot, we, we just cannot talk enough about how impressive a job these players and this coaching staff have done at turning this program around. Jason, let's wrap up the show then with our player of the week selection. We're going back to basketball. I know we've we've switched topics here a couple times, but uh, give me your player of the week. Duke, of course, goes one and one this week. The loss against Kansas uh, out in Indianapolis, and then back home the win against Delaware. Who you got? Yeah, you know I did not pick him last week, and I I kind of you know laughed and joked about it a little bit, but this week he's got to be Kyle Filipowski. I think there's. You know, I don't know, Sam, maybe you have someone else in mind, but 
you know, against Kansas, 17 points, 14 rebounds. Uh, you know, the next game, he comes back and gets 18 points and eight rebounds. And and we talked extensively about the degree to which he's unveiling new aspects of his play, the degree to which he does not play the way you would expect a seven-footer to play. I have seen people start to use the word unicorn about him. Uh, and and I don't dispute it. He He appears to have you know, elite perimeter skills in a center's body. And that is a unicorn. So Kyle Kowski, yeah, player of the week. And he has and he has ball handling in addition to that, which yeah. I think might be the most amazing thing given given his size. So I also was going to pick Kyle Filipowski. Jason, on the topic of last week, uh, he won ACC Rookie of the Week last week. And I don't think we mentioned it on the show because ho-hum, uh, a, a Duke freshman is getting is getting weekly awards in the ACC. I, I think I may be wrong. I think Duke, since they initiated the ACC rookie of the week, I think Duke players have won more than half of the ACC yeah. rookie of the week awards. It's kind of absurd. Just silly. Yeah. Hey, I got one more thing before we go. Just super, super fast. Uh, th- this week uh, or this past week was the signing period for, uh, for incoming uh, high school uh, seniors coming to college and and as a result all the players who've committed to duke have all signed their papers they are all officially blue devils on the men's side and on the women's side and as a result of that a lot of people are putting together sort of their high school recruiting rankings of the classes by team uh the duke men are considered currently to have the number two class behind kentucky um duke duke has a couple guys who are rated you know lower than top 10 and Kentucky's almost exclusively got top 10 players. That's fine. I'll live with it. Not a big deal. Tyrese Proctor wasn't a top 10 recruit. I'm more than happy having all the guys in our class. It's an incredible class. But I wanted to shout out and mention on the women's side. Because I interviewed Kara Lawson just a few days ago. Folks, if you have not listened to that interview, go back in your podcast, like four or five podcasts ago, my interview with Kara Lawson. She talks about the fact that they had a really good recruiting class last year and they wanted to outdo it this year. Hat tip, they did. They are currently rated as the sixth best number six recruiting class in the nation. And that class includes Jaden Donovan, a guard, a wing, who is the number three player in the class, as good a recruit as Duke has gotten in many, many, many years. It's a, and, you know, Jaden Donovan, by the way, is not the only, they have three top 30 players in this class. Kara Lawson is doing an incredible job of elevating the Duke program. We don't talk about women's basketball all that much. And and they have a big week coming up as well. They play UConn. They're, they're in the Phil Knight Legacy Women's Tournament. They're they're only four teams in in their bracket. Duke plays UConn. Always a big game. Always a huge game. And, and look, no one's going to pick the Blue Devils to win that game. UConn is ranked in the top five, and Duke is just outside the top twenty-five in, in most of the rankings. Uh, they're they're four zero. The Lady Blue Devils are four zero. They're just the Blue Devils women's team. Anyway. Uh, no one expects them to beat UConn, but they have a they have a puncher's chance in that game. And after that game, they'll play either a very good Oregon State team or Iowa. Iowa, by the way, is ranked even higher than UConn. So Thanksgiving weekend, it's going to be a key moment for Carol Lawson and the Duke women to test themselves against some of the best teams in the land before they get started on on the ACC, which also features some of the best teams in the land. But you know, Carol Lawson just continues to elevate that program. I wanted to to shout out and mention that they had one of the top six recruiting classes in the nation. All right. Love it. 
so Jason, we will be back uh, later this week to uh, preview the games in Portland. But until then, stay in touch with us. DBRpodcast at gmail.com. We love the headlines. We love everything else. Um, for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, who is over to uh, enjoy just a, a few fun soccer matches for the next few weeks. I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 460 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us home. You know, by the way, I, I had it in my notes to bring up, but then I decided I'm not going to bring it up because I don't want to be the guy that complains about the refs. But there was a moment in the first half where Kyle Filipowski took a three-pointer and fell down after taking it. And they didn't call the flop? Yeah. Now, he was he was clearly bumped. He fell because he was bumped. So when guys take three-pointers and fall down afterwards, you either have to, A, call a foul because they were bumped, or B, Call a technical Call because they flopped. There's no, yeah. Those are the only two choices. You can't say, oh, he fell and he wasn't hit and it wasn't a flop. It can't be both those things, but the refs didn't call anything. We're going to see this throughout the year. The refs didn't call anything. And and I was like, well, it's got to be one or the other. You right. know? Yeah. It's, uh, and, and I mean, it was the same thing for like on that play. It felt like exactly like the Proctor play where yeah. they're falling. Like, if you're going to fall down, you want to do it in such a way that you're, like, bracing yourself. It felt like both of those were the same. Like, they're just, like, they're just enough off kilter that they might as well go to the floor because it's safer. Um, so I, I really don't know what they're looking for in those in those flopping calls. Yeah, I mean, it's clear that the refs have been instructed about a new rules change and how to enforce it and stuff like that. And it's also clear that the refs haven't completely figured it out. Yeah.